You're listening to The Wedding Whisperer with Sarah Burton of Simply Love Studio in Lexington, Kentucky. I have a special guest with me today is Nicole from NSH Money Coaching. I know what you're thinking. Why are we talking about money coaching on a wedding podcast? Just take a listen, just bear with us a few minutes, and you're going to see why. First off, I want to start with welcoming you to the podcast, Nicole. Thank you for being here. Before we really dive right in, tell folks that are listening why you are talking about money. What is your history? What is your background when it comes to money? Hi, I'm so happy to be here with you, and I can't wait to talk about money and wedding whispering. It's going to be the best. So I am Nicole Starkestad. I'm the owner of NSH Money Coaching. I have had my business full-time for the last three years, and I help people address their money trauma and drama so they can make decisions that they love and buy a life that they're proud to live. Within that, my background in getting there is very simple. I was very broke. My husband and I were on food stamps our first year of marriage, and I thought to myself, there's got to be more to life than this. And so I started my very long 15 plus years now journey into financial education, wealth building, and understanding psychology around money mindset so that I could not only lift my family out of the broke cycle that we were living in, but also teach others to do the same so that they can actually enjoy using the money that they work so hard to earn. And you are currently working on your PhD? I am. I'm a nerd. What can I say? I'm in my PhD program. Um, It's out of the College of Agriculture here in Lexington, Kentucky. It's called the Family and Consumer Science Program. And I'm getting my PhD in personal finance and family economics. That's awesome. Well, the reason I wanted to bring Nicole on the podcast today is because we talk about money and budget in every single conversation I have with a couple. We talk about it extensively in the first conversation. And then every conversation after that, we still talk about it a lot. And yes, you need money to have a wedding. And it comes into play, again, every single conversation. But we also want to talk about moving past the wedding day and money and marriage. So Nicole... When a couple is in the wedding planning process, what advice would you have for them separating wedding day money versus marriage money? Is there Mm. such a thing as that? Yeah, I love how you put that. That delineation between like, you're going to have a very specific day, a very specific event. Like, think about yourself planning to go on a vacation right? Like thinking about and planning all the details of the vacation. That's like a very set moment in time versus like the money after that event that you and your future spouse are going to be partnering on for hopefully many years to come. That's a whole big deal that a lot of people don't think about upfront before getting married. And they certainly don't take it into consideration 
when they're planning how much they're willing to spend on the event of getting married versus actually the life they want to build once they're married. So I love how you put that. So one of the big things that I would recommend the first step being is create a delineation. You have the wedding event and then you're going to have the marriage. And what are those two things going to cost you ideally? So What are you willing to spend on an event versus what do you want to go into your marriage being able to use capital-wise? When I meet with couples, we talk about what their initial wedding budget is, their event day budget. And the average in Lexington is probably still about the same as it was pre-pandemic, but you don't get as much for that dollar figure anymore. And so Many times I tell couples to plan to go over at least 20 to 25% of their initial budget just because there are things that they may forget. We also have to keep in mind there's taxes on things and there's just random added expenses, wedding day emergency expenses, those kind of things. And so is there a way that you would recommend for planning for emergency expenses during the wedding planning process? Is there a point in which you just literally stop and say, we cannot spend any more on this wedding? We have to stick to this dollar figure? Yeah. So there is what I like to call the time for a yes and a time for a no. And the best time to say yes to yourself is ahead of an event. So knowing that you're going to be meeting with a wedding planner, for example, like yourself, you are... Your, your couples that are coming in or whoever the primary is that usually comes in to speak with you, they're going to want to have a very detailed vision of their day already in their head. And a lot of times with that detailed vision, you're going to have a couple of top priorities that are important to them. Those are the things you definitely want to do what I call fund. You want to fund those top priorities because if they're not perfect, it's going to ruin your whole day. Now, when it comes to an event like this, we think everything has to be perfect. Everything has to be just so. But really, in reality, that's not true. There are going to be things about that day that really you should not care about. And maybe they're not going to be the same for every couple getting married. But whatever those are, Make sure you have a rank order list of those priorities and then put an actual dollar amount you are willing to spend on each itemized thing going in with the vision you want to craft of what your wedding day will look like. Truly do your research. So if you're looking at venues, for example, and you're like, my venue is highly, highly important to me. I have a very specific aesthetic I'm going for for my wedding. Maybe it's themed in some way. You want to make sure that when you go in to start actually pinning down dates, interviewing people that you want to host the wedding at the venue and meeting with your planner to help them facilitate those things, you're going to want to have a dollar amount in your head for that specific item. Because a lot of times when we start thinking, oh, my wedding budget's 6000 12000 25000 52000 whatever it is, we lump it all together. And anytime you pile on money, You think there's more available to you than really is when you start breaking down the itemized things and you put them in a rank order of importance. So this is going to keep your bride. I say bride, but it's going to keep the planning person, the person in charge of like the primary planning of the event, right? You're going to keep yourself on track 
because you're going to be discussing those things with your planner in an itemized fashion. And you're going to have a running idea in your head of how much money you're spending, if you're funding the things that are super important to you, and where you're willing to say no to things that are as not important to you or make more cost-effective compromises. And I will say that um, Nicole and I did not prep this question before I asked that. (laughs) If you have met with me in the beginning stages of your planning process, typically that first meeting when we talk about budget, I always recommend picking those three most important things to you. Those are the things that, you know, she said fund those. Those are my, the the non-negotiables. You're going to spend the money on that. And that's going to be where you're not going to cut the corners. And it's okay to cut the corners and be able to say no in other areas that aren't as important to you. Those top three things are going to be different for everyone. It's always interesting for me to hear what those are, um, but they are literally different for everyone. I had one bride, the chairs were really important to her. She wanted her guests to be comfortable. I want to be comfortable. I mean, I'm here for that one. But, you know, (laughs) typically it's your photography, your videography, Mm. your music, your food, whatever it is for you, picking those three things and then be w- being willing to negotiate and be okay with other things not being exactly what you want, I think is really important. Yeah. And then realizing, too, that there are tiers, I think, to every important item. So even if you want a very specific aesthetic, it's highly, highly possible that you can get near perfect for a less dollar amount, depending on who you're working with and how well that planner is connected. Hint, hint, wink, wink, just saying. We want to lurk at Simply Love, just just saying. Um, so we are thinking about ahead of time where we're willing to compromise, where we're not going to compromise, and then the dollar amount that we absolutely positively will not be going over and having that be a thing that is set in stone. So if you are looking at, I am willing to go up to $15,000 on our venue. I'm willing to go up to 10 grand on catering. I'm willing to spend up to 25 on my dress, you know, 100 or 1,000, then having a hard number in your head about what your bottom line is and then really allowing that to be your bottom line. A lot of times the reason why people end up regretting their spending, even on something as big and as exciting and as memorable as a wedding day, is because they compromised on themselves and what they said they would do and that always brings on yucky, yucky, yucky feelings. And so what we want to do is avoid the emotional costs of going back on yourself and then having to pay back a day, an event, however, whatever we want to include in that honeymoon or, you know, the thing that happens before we feed everybody. What's that? The reception. The reception. (laughs) And then like the thing that happens before the wedding where everybody practices. The rehearsal. The rehearsal, that thing. So we want to like make sure that we're including all of these things too so that you understand this is where my money is going to go. This is how much money there is to go around. And this is where I'm not going to walk back on myself because when this event is over, I don't want to have any regrets financially or emotionally. And two, I have been seeing couples that are mid to late 20s and in their 30s getting married now. And when I first started planning 10 and 15 years ago, most of my couples were 22 and 23. And at Mm. that point, many times parents were paying for the majority of the wedding, if not all of it. Whereas now 
Many of the couples are paying for the majority of it. They have great jobs. They want to pay for it. Um, but they'll be like, oh, we're paying 20000 and then, you know, my parents are going to pay for the bar. My parents are going to give us this much, and then my aunt's going to give us this much, and then whoever's going to give us this much. And I, I that starts making me nervous mm-hmm. until I see those checks mm-hmm. and I see that that money is in your hands. You don't have that money. Mm-hmm. You have that money that you are willing to pay that $20,000 that is your budget. That's where you need to start at. Just because people have told you they're going to give you an extra ten to 15000 I recommend not spending that until it is literally in your hands. Mm, I really agree with that, Sarah, because we've got this. A lot of people spend imaginary money. But unless you actually have that working capital available to you, you will end up paying for something you did not plan on that you thought was coming from somewhere else. So it is best to only work with what you actually have guaranteed to you. So if you want to, and this is where we go back to that priority list, right? So with the money that is guaranteed, whatever you are bringing in yourself or whatever you basically have in a verbal agreement from say parents um, who are maybe more trustworthy and you can count on them to give them, to give you whatever they've promised, you want to make sure that that money that is guaranteed goes to those priorities. Don't spend it not on the priorities. Then make a list of like, okay, this is where I'm going to compromise, right? Like say you're willing to compromise on catering because you know you're not even going to eat the food because you're going to be too busy dancing and walking around and telling everybody thank you and taking pictures and whatnot. So you're barely going to get to eat the food anyway. So it just needs to be good enough that your guests enjoy it and have a good time, but it doesn't have to be from, you know, a six Michelin star chef anywhere. So you're going to compromise on that. But if somebody gives you money or promised money does come in, say from great aunt Tilly, you can actually just overfund a lower priority, allowing that to be like a nice surprise rather than a devastating blow to your budget. And there are a lot of, Luxury vendors, I will call them, that a lot of times you can book two, four weeks before the wedding day. Once you see where the budget falls into play, if you have money left in the budget, a photo booth is one of those. It's often Mm -hmm. added on at the very end. If a videographer is not in your top three, oftentimes it is added on toward the end as well. So there are definitely the more luxury vendors that you don't absolutely have to have that day that can be added on at the end once you see where the money falls into play. Mm, I really love that too. Like you can have, it. it's not now or never, Yeah. right? Like if we're thinking about that couples, it's not now or never. So be willing to figure out what's okay if you go without it and they'd be pleasantly surprised. The thing you just said, luxury vendors. So what I'm hearing you say is that there are what are called luxury vendors, but that means to me that there are, That's like a range. There's a spectrum of vendor available. So when you have your couples come to you for planning, what is like that hierarchy or spectrum look like? It really kind of comes down to what's most important to them. A lot of times a couple will want photography and videography. Mm. And then there are some couples that are like, we we would love to have a videographer, but we know that's not in our budget. Mm -hmm. At that point, to me, it becomes a luxury. Mm -hmm. 
um, a photo booth is the same way. Yes, we would love to have all of those photo strips printed out or sent to our cell phone, but we also have our cell phone and that would be another $500 expense. Sparklers at the end, that's a luxury expense. Those are some great photos, but that's a hundred dollars expense for sparklers. Right. Anything like that um, favors those turn into being a luxury because those end up being five hundred to a thousand dollars if you end up doing something bougie that your guests right. would like. So a lot of it just comes down to personal preference and what's important. Yeah, I imagine too a lot of resourcefulness and creativity goes into this planning project, which would make having a strong vision of the day and the total event really, really important ahead of time. Because if you don't have an idea of what you want, then you're going to go in and be swayed by everything that a good planner should show you. Because a good planner should have like a book of things that are options for the day. But if you don't know what's a piece of that day, what's going to be a, a contributor to your event versus like what's really going to just be like, I could have cared less if I had that. You're going to be swayed to spend your money, not necessarily on purpose by your planner, but like just by emotion and excitement, right? Like the the thrill of planning, you're going to be swayed in that emotional way to spend money that you really don't have or really maybe you do have it, but that's not where you wanted or intended to spend it. And so keeping in mind that emotional in check when you go to the actual planning of your event, of your big day, of the entire week-long process or whatever is included in that, keep your emotions in check and make sure that they're aligning with the vision of what you really wanted so you spend your money super, super intentionally and not overspend your money unintentionally. So hypothetically speaking, if a bride or groom has a just an emergency fund that they keep in a different savings account and you know it's just there in case they need it is this a time where maybe we should be like you know maybe maybe we should just pull a little from that from that emergency fund would would we consider this an emergency i mean i get the appeal you have money that feels like it's just sitting there looking pretty and we really think to ourselves oh i'll replace that is that an option that you could take absolutely depending on the circumstance would i be like you should definitely do it potentially but should it be the first thing that comes to your mind probably not because this is where we want to go back to that line of delineation. You have a single moment in time that's going to be highly, highly celebrated. And honestly, no matter how it goes off, as long as you've picked the person you want to be married to, you're going to have a good day. Like really, you're going to have a good day. Are you going to end up with a good marriage, a good financially stable, starting out strong marriage? And if we're already dipping into our emergency funds, for things that are just wants and for getting the purpose of why we stowed that money away in the first place for like, you know, legitimate emergencies, like being out of work for three months during a pandemic. Now, knock on wood, that won't happen again. But that was something none of us could have foreseen as an emergency. And so when you think about like what that money really is for, yeah, maybe it is sitting there to look pretty and maybe you will never need it. But its job is to be there when something goes very, very wrong, not when you just can't control your impulses, right? So we want to keep that in mind and 
and really think about like, what am I buying with this? I like to ask that question to my clients all the time. Like, you're about to spend money. What are you buying with this choice, actually? What is the feeling or emotion you are trying to buy with this choice? And a lot of times, especially when it comes to this event, you're trying to buy relief from not having to tell yourself no. Ooh. From not having to be restrained. Like, you want to be, like, it's itchy to be in a restrictive place at such a happy event. And I get it. I just got back from vacation. I did not want to tell myself no, like at all. But there were no's that had to be said because there was a hard line on the budget for that vacation. And so whenever we're thinking about like, and just so you know, it wasn't any vacation. It was my second honeymoon back to the country that we did our first honeymoon in. It was a very big deal. Like we did not want to tell ourselves no. It was a highly luxury event. So before you go being like, it's a vacation. No, no, we we were bougie. So like we spent a lot of money on that event. And but having that bottom line and being willing to say no and sit with that discomfort of like, hmm. I had to say no, and I really wanted it, right? And just sit with that and be like, okay, whatever, and move on from the fact that, yeah, I'm not going to have that experience, or I'm not going to have that dish, or I'm not going to have this hotel room, right? Like, just moving past having to tell myself no and make choices and going forward to like, okay, but this doesn't actually compromise my vision of this event in any way. I just don't like hearing no, <laughs> which like, I don't. And I see you. I see you, bride, groom. Like, I see you on the other side of this being like, but I don't want to be told no. It's my day. Like, I get it. I do. But it is important to tell yourself no when it matters. And this could be one of those instances where we don't go take from our future selves who are going to be in crisis by borrowing from our emergency fund so that we can make our like super giddy, impulsive, oh, over the moon, excited self even more excited or not having to like restrict. Like we don't want to make that trade off if we can keep from it. So we're going to jump from that into something super fun. And we're going to talk about registry Ooh. and how to use your bridal registry, your wedding registry to benefit you long term. So now this, to me, it doesn't feel like a jump. It feels like a natural segue because this is how you avoid using your emergency fund. You can use your wedding registry so wisely to get other people to help you pay for either parts of this event right? Honeymoon expenses, actual pieces of the wedding, or to strategically use it to help you cover pieces of your marriage that maybe you would not have thought of. So for example, if you are, you had mentioned, Sarah, that people are often in the home buying process while they're in the wedding planning process, or maybe they're in a home like updating process or they're consolidating homes, right? And so when you think about that, using your wedding registry wisely, because people as much as they love you, guests coming to your wedding, they want it to be simple for them to shower you. Like they want it to be simple. They just want to be told where you want money to go. Now you're going to have that oddball that's like never on the registry and always shops off and you're just going to have to ask for a gift receipt. But like for the most part, people will get what you tell them to or they will put money where you ask them to. And so one of the ways you can avoid dipping into your emergency fund just because that money is sitting there is by asking your wedding guests, hey, we'd really like this DJ help us cover the costs as part of our wedding presence. Or we'd really love to go on this honeymoon. Help us cover the costs of plane tickets by buying us this kind of gift card like Southwest. Or here's our Amazon registry and these are larger ticket items. 
could you maybe contribute to buying us this new couch because we don't have one or, you know, like going to Lowe's and registering for like a lawnmower because you don't have one. And so like thinking about like how to really use that in your real life, that opportunity of other people are going to be giving you their money and not wasting it on frivolous things or things that really, really, truly don't matter in the long run is going to be a strategic move to saving yourself potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars just because you allowed other people to give their generosity to the right place intentionally in your own life and in your own future marriage. Even down to the toasting flutes and the cake cutting set. Mm. I usually recommend putting those on the registry as well. That's $150 that you're going to spend that you don't have to. That you don't have to. And just realizing, like, I've just celebrated my 16-year anniversary. I could not tell you if we still have either of those items, like, anywhere in our home. In fact, I think our toasting flutes are broken. Like, they broke, like, in a move, right? So, like, just thinking ahead to, like, okay, in the long run, when I am buying this or putting something into this, where is it going to end up? Right. So like those serving sets that seem so important to get engraved and have pretty bows on and be coming in a box set, it's going to end up in an attic. It's going to end up staying boxed on your next move. Unless you have it in a shadow box that you hang on the wall in your kitchen, where is it going to live? How often are you going to use it? Like just strategically thinking ahead of like just because it's available for me to get doesn't mean that's where my money needs to go strategically. Do you remember any of the things you had on your registry? I remember lots of things, but we came, we were the young and in love, right? So we each came from directly from college. We spent maybe three months at each of our parents' house after we got out of college. And we lived on campus the whole time we were in college because we went to a really small college that provided housing all the way through your senior year. I mean, not for free, but like, so all of our stuff was like Goodwill shopped. And so when we decided to get married and actually move in together, we were bringing all of our Goodwill stuff, which I got to tell you, wasn't a lot. And we had to strategically choose what we used our registry for because we literally did not have anything at all, which I think is a major advantage to most people getting married today because they are older. They have been living on their own. They're bringing things to the to the marriage that they would suffice for now until they really work out getting their finances together together so they could choose what those new purchases for their home would be. But so for me, the original question was, do I remember anything on my registry? And we had a lot of normal stuff. But the number one thing I remember is we had a mattress. We had our because we didn't have a bed. We, we each brilliant. like we had college beds. So we didn't bring any beds with us. Um, and then we each had, uh, you know, my husband didn't even have bedroom furniture in his parents' house because, like, really, they, I don't think they planned on him coming back. <laughs> and so um, we had this situation where I <laughs> bartered with my mother to take my bedroom furniture from my childhood bedroom, which was a queen bedroom set, and we registered for a queen mattress. And we ended up getting, um, we ended up getting it, and and it was a collective buying thing to get this mattress for us so that we could move into home. But that was a strategic thing. Like we needed a bed. Um, I remember another thing that we registered for was a kitchen table. 
We didn't actually get it for our wedding, but because uh, we had it on our registry, our parents chipped in and got it for us for Christmas that year. And so like, just like registering for things, but like, that's an example of like, we had nothing. Like we spent the first four months of our marriage eating on the floor in a picnic style. And so like, when I think about people's registries and what they're bringing to their marriages now, and they're like, we don't have anything. I'm like, nah, mm -mm, you can't play this game with me. I had nothing when I got married. What did you, you have stuff. You just, it's old. Right. And I think sitting too with that discomfort, when you register for something that's like newer, sitting with that discomfort of like, what are you buying? When you ask somebody to put other people's money into this new thing, that's prettier. What are you really buying? Right. And it's it's a feeling of some kind that you're trying to bring into your new home. And I've got to tell you guys, you don't have to buy your feelings. You can make them in house like you can just feel good about what you're bringing into your marriage, especially if it's a material item that you could jointly replace later on after you get through that first year and really figure out your finances. Like that's just from me to all of y'all. Did you register for the KitchenAid mixer no that wasn't even part of my one we were working full-time in a financial crisis like we got married in 2007 and 2008 hit and we were already feeling the effects of it it was so difficult for us to get jobs and that's if i'm being honest that's how we ended up on food stamps that year uh that's a different story but we you know you guys come follow me and i'll tell you all about it but um so when we were doing our registry like we literally registered for the necessities like because we did not have them I think we had, we didn't have any cups. Um, so I remember registering for the cheapest possible like glassware. We had a couple of plates. We had zero pots and pans. So like we registered for pots and pans. We registered for cooking apparatuses because we knew we weren't going to be eating out. We had to cook at home. We knew that our budgets, our bank account was very, very small. Um, we actually registered for Kroger gift cards. Uh, grocery store gift cards so that people would pay and people did they got us gift cards to Kroger they got us gift cards to um at the Ingles that was the that was the other one we had in our town and so and Walmart we got Walmart gift cards and we would go to the grocery store on those gift cards and feed ourselves for those first few months so if you're not looking at that situation where I think that's where two people forget to use their registry strategically is because they are coming from more money than they think they are. And they do have more resources available to them than they think they do. And they forget to use this very important piece of wedding planning strategically. And so if you can just bring a little bit of awareness to your brain after hearing this podcast of like, hmm, I don't think I'm using this to the optimum and looking at it like an investment into your life. What things would you register for that were like abnormal, but super, super beneficial to your marriage after your wedding? So let's switch from the wedding into the marriage. Yeah. Oh, the marriage. What one piece of advice would you have for a couple getting married when it comes to money? <sighs> okay. So I see a lot of couples in my business. I get several people or several couples a year that come to me in crisis. And the number one thing that they never did was learn to talk to each other about their money in a respectful and open way. You have often in a relationship, you have the person who is stuck doing all of the finances, making all of the what I like to call daily financial decisions. 
And that is if it is a heterosexual relationship, it is usually the female. 85% of the time, it is the female managing the daily expenses in the house, which is interesting. That's in a traditional type marriage. But if you have even same-sex couples or you have situations where you have non-binary couples or even trans a trans individual within the relationship, you will see a primary emerge. And it's because there's one person that is so financially avoidant and feel so stupid when they go to look at money that they they can't do it and they pin that responsibility on the other person. So it's best if you know who that person's going to be ahead of time because when it just gets dumped on you, uh, it's awful. Or if you try to force the person who is so avoidant and has zero ability to deal with big feelings, <laughs> which financial decisions bring up a lot of big feelings, into that role, you're going to end up with a mess. And so having those hard conversations ahead of time, however uncomfortable, are going to prevent a lot of disagreement going into the marriage because you'll know like, okay, you avoid financial decisions. So I'm not going to ask your permission to make financial decisions because you're going to have all kinds of big feelings about it. And it's probably not going to go the best way. The second piece of advice after having those big conversations are, if you can't have those big conversations, you need to get yourself a third party. So hiring somebody like me, a money coach, or even just finding a therapist that you can learn better communication styles through is going to be a top priority. You can even register for that on your wedding, right? Like you can ask people, be like, we want to do this. We want to work with this individual, or we want to go to this kind of marriage counseling. Please help us fund that. And just put a Venmo link up. Right. Like where it's like, this is going towards this. We're going to hire a money coach so that we can start this money marriage out. Right. Help put that on your wedding registry. Like I'll figure out how to make gift cards. And I'm sure that there are other like financial courses. I, in fact, I don't have to guess. Like I know there are plenty of like self-paced financial courses couples can do to figure out like how do you interact with money individually so that you can actually learn to partner with money together? And so those are my two big pieces, like learn to have those conversations. And if you can't have those conversations, don't blow it off. Don't wait. Go ahead and start working on that with a third party that's going to reduce the stress and reduce the amount of really the amount of disagreement that's going to come and the resentment that builds because the couples that I end up working with, they come to me in crisis. They're, you know, 10 steps from divorce or bankruptcy. They are unable to be on the same page or vision about where their dollars go. They point fingers at each other. And that is just like, that's not a marriage. Like at that point, it's, it's miserable. And so if you're marrying this person and spending all this money on this massive event, be thinking strategically about where you need to spend money to ensure that that marriage lasts at the best possible chances. And I think sometimes we forget about that. Like we forget that, oh yeah, I'm going to be with this person, this human being. And even if you've lived with them before marriage, there's a lot of financial behavioral statistics um, that state that being married changes the relationship and it changes the dynamics of how the couple uses money um, significantly, which is fascinating because you're like, well, we've been living together and splitting bills. But then the second, for whatever reason, that that wedding happens, roles change and expectations get put on differently and even the communication style changes. And so you're looking at having avoidable issues in your marriage if you just address these things during as as part of really as part of the the wedding planning process
So if someone has never heard of a money coach until they were listening to this podcast. That's um, probable. <laughs> because I did not know a money coach existed until I met you at a networking event. So tell those listening, like, what does a money coach do? Like, how, how does your process work? So, I mean, I'm not the only money coach in the world, which is awesome because I couldn't help everybody if I wanted to. I'm working on it. But what I in particular do through my business and my process is a very therapeutic approach. We do a combination of mindset work, especially if you're coming in with uh, a money partner. We want to know like, what do you actually think about money first and foremost? Like, how does money work in your mind? What is money for in your mind? What are your thoughts about money? Because they're affecting and directing the ways that you use money within your life. And they're going to affect the ways you fight for your position in any kind of disagreement with your partner. So we want to get those out in the open with both individuals if possible. The second thing that we're going to do is after getting those out in the open, we're going to decide, do you like the way that you think about money? Do you like the way that you use money in your life? Do you like these messages or thoughts you have in your head about how it might be hard to earn money or how you're bad with money or how money is hard to manage or whatever it is that you're keeping or like money is evil or you're a bad person if you want more money or, you know, debt is the worst and you can't believe you took it on to pay for your wedding and how terrible of a person are you, right? These are the thoughts that we end up dealing with in the coaching room. And so getting them out in the open, we decide like, are they serving you? And if they're not serving you, we're going to start the process of starting to shift them into more powerful, more profitable thoughts. While we're doing that, we're actually going to do what I call the management of the money. So we're going to look at the mechanics of how money comes into your household and then how money goes out out of your household. So basically the income that you make and the spending that you put out. And we're going to start making very deliberate and intentional choices about where you're putting money. And if you're really truly happy about that, or if you're just buying feelings you could have made in-house. And it goes back to where my words on like how to fund the wedding and talking about the priorities and having a season of yes and a season of no, like a time for yes and a time for no. We're going to take that similar approach, looking at your daily spending. Like where do we need to start saying no and just deal with the, mm, that's inconvenient or mm, that was what I've always done or like, man, I had a strong habit. And, but really it doesn't matter to you. It's not something that's highly, highly important. And we're going to pause that or we're going to cut it out completely because it's not serving. And so what we're going to do is direct the money towards the goals you actually have and also the goals that you want to stick to. find a lot of people plan to do big things with their money, but they don't actually care if it happens or not. Like they don't actually care if they go on that trip to Hawaii or they don't actually care if they buy a home. And so they continually spend their money saying that this is what they want to do, but then always going back on themselves and ending up spending their money in a lot of other places just because they don't really know what they want and they're not willing to stick to it and sit with yucky feelings that come when you have to say no to yourself. And so that's the last step in the process. And then we just repeat those things. What are your thoughts about the process that we just implemented? What are the thoughts about the decisions that you make? Where do you want to go back on yourself and your decisions? Let's keep track of the money we do up front. We do a weekly review of finances and then we move into a monthly review of finances. And then as the couple or the individual you know, grows in their money, uh, we do less and less 
check-ins that that are super in-depth because they can do them on their own. And then we're just making higher and higher levels of decisions. So when it comes to statistics in the marriage, where does money issues come into being the biggest issue or toward the biggest issue between married couples? It's one of the top three issues. Religion and children are usually the other two. And it fluctuates regularly on like where it stands in the rank order of like number one versus number three. Lately, it's been closer to the top just because we've had a lot of financial crisis happening and a lot of change in the last few years, especially with a lot being destabilized. Thank you, pandemic. Um, And then if you're in the U.S., just like we've had some stuff happen here. So, you know, you've got you've got a lot going on that's really financially rocking the boat and if you never learned to talk about your money with your partner and you never really learned to be clear on your own views of money and you guys don't have a co-vision of how money should be used in different situations within your marriage, yeah, it causes a lot of distress and then that causes a lot of disagreement and disagreements cause a lot of squabble. So we've got, it's pretty up there on like, it's often cited like, not directly, but it's often one of the reasons for divorce as well. So it's not, I know that's not the fun part to talk about, but it's true. That's why we talk about it now. Yeah, we talk about it now while we're happy in wedding planning, guys. If you just make it part of the process, like it doesn't have to be scary. It can actually be a lot of fun. And I think it was more taboo to talk about 10, 15 years ago than it is now. Oh, nobody talked to me. I mean, like as somebody that got married 16 years ago at the age of 22, nobody talked to us about our finances. We went to a premarital counseling because it was like part of the deal for the person who was going to marry us. They were like, you have to go to this premarital counseling with this pastor. And we did. And honestly, I don't know why we had to go because it was like an hour and a half. And he was like, you guys are fine. And then let us go. And I was like, "Okay, well, (laughs) great. (laughs) Um, So looking back on that, like there should probably be a whole class on this that people should be required to take on communication and finances and skill building together and the roles that you're going to take on and um, expectations of how to treat the other person and what feels like love and what doesn't like there should be a whole, whole situation on that. But when I think about that, I was that person who got married during that time when it was taboo, like to really discuss your finances. I remember my husband and I, well, he wasn't my husband yet, but like we took a walk and I looked straight at him because I had already taken a finance class in college that I failed, by the way, because um, I was like, I don't need this. My husband will do the money. And I remember looking at him and going, hey, what do we do about money? And he looked straight at me and he was like, I don't know. I was like, oh, well, like, should we maybe, I don't know, open a bank account together? And he was like, that's a great idea. What other ideas do you have? And I was like, oh, and this is where I learned unofficially, like there's going to be one person who makes 85% of the financial decisions. And there's going to be one person who really doesn't want to do it at all because they have a lot of money trauma and drama that they just literally cannot look at the money. And we found out very early I am the person who is going to make all of those decisions. And he is the person who is even still now 16 years later working through money trauma and drama that he got in childhood and through young adulthood that, you know, it just makes it more difficult for him to handle the big feelings and big decisions around money. Now, I will say he is a thousand times better and we have great conversations over. Usually we have money date nights, which I highly recommend. Go ahead and implement those like once a week to once a month, somewhere in there, like between one and four times a month, 
open a bottle of wine if that's your thing. Get some food from anywhere that's your favorite at home. Go out, whatever you I can. I wish you could see my face right and now. This like, sounds awful to me. Talk about your finances <laughs> in an environment that you're like, I love it here. So we always talk over our favorite like beverages and have it like, because it's way easier to have a tough conversation. One, if there's a little alcohol lubrication, if that's your thing, I prefer it. Or like a really delicious dessert or like bowling, like find the thing that it's like, this is a less stressful way of having this conversation. You can always bring fun into it. Like it doesn't, to have a serious conversation doesn't have to have a serious environment. You can take that painful part out of it just by changing where you think these conversations have to happen so if you guys are like video gamers like have a date night where you're like cool we're gonna we're gonna play for you know 15 minutes find a stop point and then check in like okay what do we want to do and just tackle one financial decision at a time it doesn't have to be the whole thing or nothing like you can just be like hey i noticed that we overdrafted you know, before our next paycheck came in, what do we want to do about that? Like, what what could we do to make this easier for us, right? And so you can brainstorm things and implement decisions on a small scale to make financial change within your marriage. It doesn't have to be this like sit down with a spreadsheet that's color code, a very serious dictating conversation, or at least I don't think it has to be. And it's been working for 16 years, so. Perfect. Any final last piece of advice? Well, first of all, they should probably use you as their planner because that would save a massive wedding expense. So if they're local to the Lexington area or anywhere close or you want to get married in Kentucky, I highly recommend that because how much do you save your your couples? That's a great question. So typically if a couple, depending on budget, is... The 25000 or less, I recommend that they only hire a month of coordinator because that's going to fit better into their budget than a full service planner. Mm. So I can really fall into that space and kind of cover a lot of the logistics between a month of coordinator and a full service planner. And that can really save about $2,000 on their budget. Do you hear that, guys? That's $2,000 you could put somewhere else. That's a videographer. Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So there's a lot of ways, you know, in the wedding planning process to save money. And working with Simply Love is definitely one of those ways. See, this is why you put these things out. Because you not only want to see your couple succeed on their day and have the best in their event, like you're literally in their corner on making sure that the finances go to like the priority things for them. Absolutely. So cool. So cool. So my advice, my last piece of advice would be like, they should work with you. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> as a, like a financial, <laughs> as like a financial, like just basic financial planning, they would save about yeah. two grand if they just came to you. Yeah. So that's pretty great. And look for other things like that. Like be creative, people. Like be creative. We like to think about money as like this super straightforward, strict thing where there are definite rules and it's not. It's made up. Like It is a made-up construct, and it has very few rules. So if you are creative enough, you can fund the wedding of your dreams if you want to. You just have to think it through and know what that means. Perfect. So if a couple wants to find you on social media, how can they do that? NSH Money Coaching, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. In fact, I think it's nshmoneycoaching.com is my website, although it's under construction. And you have a new one coming very soon. Yeah, it's coming out soon. I'm super excited. If you put in NSH, as in Nicole Stork Hested, because I'm super creative, NSH Money Coaching, you're going to find me. Perfect. Thank you so much, Nicole, for being here today. Of course. Thanks for having me. 
For more information about Simply Love Studio or to schedule your wedding consultation, go to simplylovestudio.com.